0: Welcome to Deep CV Diving, a podcast where I dive deep into the CVs of industry leaders to find the pearls of wisdom to help you in your career. I'm your host, Graham Seldon, and as an executive recruiter and career coach with over 25 years experience, I've conducted thousands of interviews and I never get bored. And that's because by carefully asking the right questions and being interested in people's stories, no interview is ever the same and there is often much to learn about what drives leaders in our field. After each recording, I reflect on some of the most salient points in the interview and go back and take a deep dive into what they've said. With each guest, I explore what steps did they take to get where they are now, what advice would they give to their younger selves, and how have they navigated the highly political and competitive businesses they work in. Let's dive deep and find out. My guest in this episode is Melbourne-based Belinda Coates. Over a 20-year period, Belinda's career has taken her from a BD and marketing executive at a leading Australian law firm, Maddox, via architecture and property firms, to recently being appointed CEO at ADP Consulting, one of Australia's largest privately owned engineering and sustainability consultancies. She has a Bachelor of Marketing and Business and has completed further studies in property-related subjects. She's a passionate networker and co-founded the 10 Women, a group led by 10 executive women in the property and construction industry with a mandate to facilitate empowerment for women through business or philanthropic opportunities, which has so far raised over a million dollars. Last year, she was also the winner of the People in Property Industry Impact Award, and I'm sure she's going to make an impact on this podcast. Welcome, Belinda.
1: Thank you so much, Graham. It's so lovely to be here and thanks, Selden Rossa, for putting on these podcasts.
0: Thank you. It's lovely to have you as a guest because, I don't know if you remember, but we first met in about 2002 um, when, when you were literally just starting your career and I remember then you being a very highly motivated, positive and dynamic force. Anybody who knows you or who has worked with you will know that you've maintained that course today. What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: So what gets me out of bed first is coffee, obviously, most important. Secondly, I meet my mum who doesn't live far away from me, we go for a walk at six o'clock every morning, which is such a great little mental health kick for me. And it's it's just a nice way for me to start the day and just share some of my dramas of the week or stresses. She gives me good advice and vice versa. Um, but also I have 10-year-old twins that get me out of bed.
0: Gosh.
1: Um, but from a, from a career perspective, I've always loved my work. So I love to get up and get everyone off to school and do all of, all of that and head into the office and be a part of a really exciting industry, which is building and delivering amazing, impactful projects around Australia.
0: Mm-hmm. You you have always been somebody I remember as being really very sociable. Um, that's where the networking came in. When During the pandemic, how did you cope with, you, you just said they like getting into the office. How did you cope not getting into the office?
1: yeah i I found it quite tricky, and obviously we had home in Melbourne. We were in lockdown for a long time, so we had a lot of homeschooling and additional factors happening. yeah, I really prided myself on on making contact and communicating with people. So I actually ran over the eighteen months of lockdown around twenty five private forums with key stakeholders around Australia. and that that was a, a real highlight of my time actually. Um, and that was during my time at Slattery. And what we realised is that people really wanted to be able to connect and they, they couldn't get to boardroom events and they couldn't get to functions. And so I hosted these very key discussions. Um, some of them were, say, with all the property leaders of airports around Australia who were desperate to reach out and share what was happening? Um, one of them was with the heads of different housing groups, so getting social housing and um, commercial housing providers together to look at solutions and sharing ideas and learnings across the states. And it was such a it was such a special time because th- those kind of things would never have happened before. But because everyone was in lockdown, it was a perfect opportunity to bring like minded souls together and try and nut out some solutions.
0: We'll get into some more of your initiatives later, but let's go right back to the beginning of your career. And I always start with for some people for education. So you did a bachelor of marketing and business, a degree in marketing and business. Did you always want to work in marketing?
1: I actually, Graham, I really wanted to be a psychologist in high school. I loved the psychology class. And my dad at the time, he was a CFO of a of a large international company and so we talked about it and I didn't really love the science subjects and a lot of I think a lot of a lot of women kind of went away from the science subjects and anyway he took me into the office to meet the marketing team and he said if you love psychology why don't you be a business psychologist and that's how he put it to me and I got to know the marketing team and I thought yeah this could be a good good grounding for me and yeah that's that's where it went
0: do you feel like you've approached marketing with a psychological you know sort of outlook?
1: Yeah, 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 because looking back, I think that i I absolutely loved the marketing degree, but it was always the psychology side of it, the understanding people and how people make decisions and how to impact people. And when i if I think back, i would I would say, um and I've always considered myself a business strategist just from my experience, but I would say that definitely the business psychology side of things and thinking about my pathway as being more of a change agent Mm -hmm. and joining the marketing teams gave me that platform to better understand people and how people make decisions and how when you're in the marketing departments of professional services organisations in particular or large organisations, you're right in the heart of understanding stakeholder engagement because you're always tapping into a board or senior executive decision makers, the marketing team is always the group that senior leading leaders and clients and staff come to. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good platform for becoming a change agent.
0: Mm. Your first real job, like so many of our guests on this podcast, was actually working in a law firm In a business development executive, sort of junior business development and marketing role. Yeah, you you were in the law for about seven years. So, you joined Maddox and you stayed there for a long time. To say it was one of your first proper roles, what was it about the law and that role that really appealed to you?
1: The smarts. I love working with intelligent people Mm -hmm. that challenge you and drive you and make you want to be better. And we learned so much. I, the basis. Of business development and strategy that I learned working with Maddox for almost eight years gave me just such an incredible understanding of how to how to build trust. The commitment to consistency, lawyers are incredibly organized. They have to be because they have to fit so many hours into a day. And their diligence around business development and client engagement and knowledge leadership is the best it's the best training ground for professional services
0: because it's so process orientated and and is that what you mean so so rigorous
1: yeah I suppose so like they it's their nature I suppose they they would have a, a lot of really successful partners would have their routine their they do a lunch with a client or they do a dinner with a target they do a breakfast with an, an influencer, for say, but they're very diligent about it. No matter how busy they are, they keep it up.
0: Mm-hmm. But also
1: with their knowledge, leadership, and the the trust building, mm-hmm. leading forums and and delivering insights. Law firms are the most committed to it. They were leading the way twenty plus years ago. Before architecture and engineering firms were starting to really think about it, maybe only ten years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: And you then went to property. So what was it about the property industry, which you've now you've you've maintained a career in property? Why did you move from law to property?
1: Well, a couple of reasons. One one was I was working very closely with the property practice at Maddox. and so as part of that, my morning routine was reading the financial review property section. Mm -hmm. And I loved reading about all the deals, the developers and the architects. And I just thought this is such a cool, fast-moving, sexy industry I want to be a part of. And secondly, at the time, Hassel Studio were going through a whole workshop process with Maddox and delivering an award-winning new office for them. So I, I got to know the whole interior design, architecture side as well. And looking at transferable skills, having been in a law firm for so long, I was looking to do something new. And when the role came up at Hassel, the transferable skills were so aligned. Uh, Delivering knowledge, leadership, client engagement, strategy around winning bids. It was all very similar. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's how I ended up in property. I went for the job at Hassel and I got it. And I never looked back. There, There began my property career.
0: Let's stop and have a deep dive here into how she approached her transition from law to property. Firstly, what is key is that she was already passionate about the property sector, having seen it from the commercial law side. She already had knowledge of the clients and the major players in the sector, and she took a logical view on how her skills were both aligned and transferable. We often get asked by candidates if it's easy to change sector, and here is a good example of how it can be if you have both an interest in the sector and understand where your experience might fit. If possible, when planning a career, it's good to think about how the job you're in now could lead to the next job, particularly if you want a career that includes working in different industries. Let's return to the interview. Yeah, and it's been an amazing career. We'll, we'll touch on that a bit later. I'm interested to know was there a difference in the business development, client facing work that you did with Hustle that, with Maddox, or were you also client facing at Maddox?
1: A little bit at Maddox because we were working closely with partners to help them build their practice. So a bit of that was understanding clients and being at the forums and seminars and possibly being at some boardroom discussions. Mm-hmm. But it was a, more of an advisory role in the background, much more, a little bit of the networking side. Whereas at Hassel, it was 50% more client facing and that that's probably more to do with um, architecture being a part of that property world the networking is so important. Mm-hmm. it's There are so many opportunities in life and the construction world changes so quickly. Mm. And there are so many different people to network with, project managers, different engineers, um, planners, even uh, other architects who you collaborate with, developers, government. And so there are because of that, there are so many different networking events. Mm. And so you do spend a lot more time out and about talking and and learning from people about what's what's happening.
0: Were you ever nervous about going to meet clients as a marketer or business developer, as opposed to being a lawyer or an architect?
1: When I first joined Tassel, I thought I have to really put myself out here. And I went to as many networking functions as possible. And I just, and the industry embraced me. And they're such a beautiful, inclusive industry. As soon as you say, I'm new, tell me what you do. Everybody loves it because everybody has such a clear discipline. No one really fully understands what the other discipline does. So it it's perfectly fine to be curious and try to understand a little bit more about people's discipline. Mm. And often, particularly, um, I find architects and engineers are really happy to tell you exactly what they do and what their specialty is. I had uh, some great people take me under their wing and, and teach me a lot as well, like people in construction. So I didn't let myself be nervous, let's just say. I just saw I have to... This is a whole new industry and I'm new and I just have to learn as much as possible and that's okay. It's okay not to know it.
0: Mm -hmm. You said earlier that when you were at Maddox, you were reading the financial review every day, you started to really love the property sector and you wanted to work in the property sector. Then when you joined the property sector, I'm curious to ask you, have you always had an end goal in mind for your career? Like, has your ambition been quite sort of well thought through? Or have you been more sort of opportunistic in roles you've taken and and situations you found yourself in career-wise?
1: I suppose having spent the eight years working in a law firm and supporting the career development of graduates who became partners in a business, that became a key goal for me. I wanted to be a partner in a business. So I definitely did make career decisions where I thought those openings would come up for me and eventually they did. So. Yeah, in a way, I mean, I never knew where I was going to get to in the end game. But then, when I did get to that level, I did reassess what I wanted to do next.
0: You've been a champion of women's careers, um, particularly recently um, in in property and construction engineering. Have you had any barriers in your own career that you can look back on and, and and say, you know, that was a hurdle, but I overcame it, or somebody else helped me overcome it? I mean,
1: I do think about that a lot because I I have had some excellent male mentors and sponsors yeah so i do i do often think about that when i talk to women who are struggling to get their voice heard or or build their career and i think when i look back what's held me back and i i do think that i've had some really great mentors and supporters i've had some great male mentors and supporters who have helped my career Absolutely. Women also, but in particular, I've definitely had some male mentors that have p- paved the way for me and given me good advice. Mm-hmm. I grew up with two brothers. I went to a co-ed school that was transitioning to co-ed. So there was a lot more males. So even though being in male dominated industries can be confronting, it's never really affected. I've never felt like it's held me back. In fact, mm-hmm. I even when I was on maternity leave with twins, I was given a promotion. So I do think that if you're not in the right place, you need to move to another place. But most companies, if you're good at your job, it shouldn't hold you back. Being, being a female should not hold you back at all.
0: Mm. Having worked for two really large architecture firms and, and some of the best firms in in, in the business you joined a family owned smaller firm slattery what attracted you to that type of sort of small family firm at that stage in your career
1: yeah this is a good one and i think if we we're, if we we're, if were thinking about making big leaps this was definitely a leap i i really had to think about this one because it's it's such a prestige to be a part of a global business that is in the media and has a good name and, and all of that. But the Slattery family, their values and their brand just felt so good to me. And the opportunity to be able to join, join the business um, in a leadership role and really take, I suppose, a driver's seat to help them grow their brand nationally. It really excited me. And I think as a change agent, that was a perfect opportunity to work with a business that had a good brand, but wasn't really as well known and mm. worked together with some some amazing um, leaders. The, uh, the brother is the executive chairman and the sister is the managing director founded by the father 40 years ago. So some excellent values to be able to work with some amazing leaders. Honestly, it was such a great decision. Yeah, it really was. And I I really didn't look back and I had a fantastic Five and a half years working with them and building their brand nationally, and and working with the team to to win some amazing projects around Australia.
0: Now they wouldn't have had a big marketing team like Hassel or Woods Baggett that you also worked for. So when when you when you tackle going to a smaller firm and you you're charged with in, 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 you know increasing their brand profile and and winning more work and looking at a business development strategy how do you approach that as a sort of with, with limited resources
1: mm. when you have limited resources you have to you have to really think like a not-for-profit in the beginning because when a, a company is looking at especially professional services as we all know they're looking at their marketing dollars and they really want to see that limited and put their money into investing in the fee owners
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there's there's much to be said about really just what can you do with nothing? And if you think about what can you do with nothing, there is so much you can do. You can have great conversations. You can, um, with a small budget, you can outsource a content writer who can write a paper for you. You can outsource a fantastic graphic design template that is in Word even that looks like it's in InDesign so that the average punter can put together something fantastic quickly. And that's kind of the beauty of being able to switch your mind to that. Uh, I've worked with people that come from big globals and they don't understand they don't have 25 people. But if you gave them nothing, they would really shine because then you've got to use, you've really got to use your smarts. You've got to look at, here's a piece of content. How can we use this in as many ways as possible? Let's let's have someone join the boardroom discussion and turn that into a paper that is put onto LinkedIn and then represented again and then shared on a story on Instagram, for example, Whereas when you have big teams of people, it just becomes very, it can be lazy. And then you start to do the lazy marketing or let's, let's do a big sponsorship here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's do a big publication here without really thinking, thinking about those first principles marketing.
0: Again, she offers a great insight into how to develop your career by choosing the role and the opportunity it presents, rather than the size and brand of the company. As marketers, some of the best career enhancing jobs are those that really test your practical and influencing skills. It's also the case that people who want to be and enjoy being change agents must find companies in need of change. It's refreshing to hear how she approaches limited resources and budgets at a time when she could have seen her career growth as larger teams and bigger budgets. I love it when she says, what can you do with nothing? You really have to use your smarts. You are an infamous networker. I'm sure you won't mind me saying that. Everybody knows that you're brilliant at networking. In fact, I've often said you'd probably been an amazing recruiter. Um, (laughs) Please don't go into recruitment, Belinda. Please stay where you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what, what effect has networking had on your professional life, do you think?
1: Uh, I re- I want to tell you a background story because it was my actual first real job before Maddox and mm-hmm. it was in London working for a company, Drake Drake Beanmore, and they're not around anymore, but they're a career management consultancy. Mm-hmm. And I worked with them for 18 months and we... What we did is we supported um, senior executives who had been made redundant. And so we had senior executives like the there might have been the global head of Nestle or someone who had been a risk manager to the Royal Family or things like that. People at the top of their game made redundant and we we were working through programs with them to help them find their next role. And these guys, above anything else, taught me the lesson of build your network before you need it. So when these people are at the top of their game, there's no one they could reach out to and they had to really start to think like, how do I reach out to people to try and get my next job? They'd lost their networks. And so from then on, I always have made a, a huge effort to make sure I maintain networks. So what has it done for me? It's helped me when you have a good network... And it's a and it's two way street. So you have a network, and you stay in touch with people, and you help them out when they need it. Refer people to them when you when you think that that might help someone. And down the track, you might you're going to need something too. And that's just how we all are, and and we work together on things. So it's helped me with the ten women, you know, raise a mi- a million dollars by being able to build trust with people and get sponsors and get donations. It helped me when when I was ready to move um, to a new role from Slattery, I knew that I had a good network and that I could take a few months off and have a career break and I knew that my network would help me find my next role and it did. So it is number one, build your network before you need it. It's such an important thing.
0: It's a brilliant piece of advice. Talk to us about 10 women. I'm really interested to know what it is, why you started it, what it does.
1: Eight years ago now, I was at a property council event at the Polo with a lady, Fiona Dunster, and she's the co-founder. We were getting along so well and we said, why haven't we met each other? And she was saying, I keep hearing about you. And I said, I keep hearing about you. Why haven't we met each other? And we realised that we've been going to property council, like the property-related events for so long, and they were so male dominated so women tend not to meet each other at those events because they don't want to look like they're too scared to talk to the males, so they tend not to talk to the other women. Interesting. So we we realize we have to do something about this. We have to find the other women like us out there. And so we gathered together another eight women and pulled them together for a lunch and we said, let's start the ten women, we'll do it for one year. Every second month we'll five of us will invite five people to lunch. So we only have to do five lunches each and we'll have met all the women in the industry. Seven years later, we're still meeting all the women in the industry because there's a lot more than we thought. Um, but, in the 10, meantime, <laughs> yeah. but in the meantime, we were gathering such a great tribe of people, mm. like key decision makers, influencers, and that's when we decided we really need to use our network to do something better. And, and that's when we started moving into more advocacy for, um, philanthropy, fundraising. Uh, we supported our uh, Lord Mayor Sally Cat's campaign both of her campaigns and yeah, just been such an amazing journey and in its eighth year now, I think yeah.
0: And how do you manage to maintain that whilst also you know working?
1: The wheels are coming off, let's just say it's getting <laughs> trickier. that what's really great when you have 10 10 busy women on, a, on in a committee, I suppose we're a board that the meetings, the meetings are pretty quick and we know what we have to do and we've got our jobs to do and we just get on and do it. And yeah, I suppose every couple of years we try and rotate and people move on and we get fresh people, but it's, it's very rewarding and mm. it's important to make time for some things like that.
0: Earlier this year, in fact, just a few months ago, you were appointed Chief Executive Officer at ADP. Um, should we just have a moment that yeah the, 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 yeah it is it is amazing did you always aspire to be a CEO
1: so I, I caught up with my dad on the weekend he lives in Greece now so I, I haven't seen him in a while and my husband said to him oh, so are you proud of your daughter she's now a CEO and did you always think she was going to be a CEO and he was a he was a CFO I think I mentioned earlier anyway he said he it was so cute because my daughters were there and he said he said, well, she always told me that she was going to be my boss one day. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Graham, I actually, yes, yes. I, I was one of those people who didn't have rock stars on their walls. I had business leaders, business quotes and business leaders on my walls. I loved the business management subject in year 12. I I, I got um, the highest mark in Victoria um, with one other person. We jointly got the highest mark. So it was it was definitely in my blood. Um, mm. the truth is, my my dad actually told me I have to study accounting if I want to go down that path. And I started it and I changed to marketing. So it was, it was definitely a tough, I reckon, a tougher path to get there.
0: Hmm. Tell me this, if you can. Why you like why why have you got there? I mean, you haven't followed the most traditional path mm. to, to get to CEO. You've taken some risks along the way, you've talked about about that. So what is it about you that that, that people see leadership and, and give you leadership responsibility.
1: I would say I'm overly committed to what I do. I'm very diligent about. I still read the property news every single morning, so I'm across what's happening. I go to far too many networking events that I probably don't need to be at because I feel like I want to. I want to invest in um, getting to know people and what's happening. I really like to bring people together as well. That's something that I'm. I know that I'm naturally good at, and someone has to do it. So I do like to bring people together for the better good. So whether that's a fundraiser or or something like that, that's, that's probably my only answer for you. Other than I'm just so committed to what I do, and also being a role model for for my daughters. I very passionate about them seeing that women can be they can be CEOs
0: mm. yeah of course now you're a very positive person and I'm interested to know what annoys you and the reason I'm asking you that question is because a previous podcast guest set that question for you so Natalie Trong, who we interviewed um, mm-hmm. in our previous podcast we asked her to set you a question and the question is What annoys you at work?
1: Oh, I'm such a long-term thinker. I'm always thinking five to ten steps ahead. I cannot stand it. I can't stand it when people have a short-term view and they can only see in front, like, what's in front and they can't realise that that is detrimental to the next step. That's definitely my big annoyance.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to ask you where you're going to be in five years. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) what What's your favorite interview question? What question do you like to ask people when you're when you're hiring them?
1: Uh, i'm really I'm really interested in 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 how people see that they can change change culture at the moment to embrace what what we see in front of us, which is encouraging more women into senior positions, in embracing reconciliation, encouraging more Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders into positions generally let alone senior positions um, there's such a lot of work to do there so that's that's what I'm really interested in how Mm. people feel about that Mm -hmm. that really tells me what kind of personality type they are and whether they're right for the organization as well.
0: Thinking back to when you were graduating from your Bachelor of Marketing with your posters on the wall of CEOs of Australian (laughs) businesses.
1: Who would it be nowadays it'd be um, Seth. Odin wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) What
0: what advice would you give yourself thinking back?
1: This one I love so it's a really good question because you don't you kind of feel like where you think you might want to go but you actually don't know where you want to go until you're on the pathway and you can see where you're going next but when you're there when you're getting to a certain platform and you look back and realize that each stepping stone has brought you to that position and when if I say to myself, going back when I graduated, trust your instincts. Every career move you make will be the best move you make. Every time you make a career move, it's the best move you make. So, working with lawyers, I learned how to build trust and I learn about consistency. Working with architects and designers, I learn about how to push boundaries and think outside the box. Uh, working with cost consultants, I learned all about the importance of understanding risk and having a contingency plan and now with engineers I'm learning all about the wonderful world of innovation.
0: That's pretty impressive I wonder what next for you we'll have to wait and see you've only been there <laughs> a few months it's, it's yeah. been it's been fantastic to catch up with you again and um, congratulations on your new job and thank you so much for being a guest on Deep CV Diving.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure.